Hi everybody, how are we doing? Good. Oh, I've got quite a few books with me. I'm basically going to be doing a book review for you, so I hope you're ready. Um, it's so good to have you guys here who've come to celebrate Olive especially. She's got such a crew already. She's not even one and she's got like a whole gang. Um, just to let you know that if you are small and have small people, I have three small people who constantly interrupt me, constantly talk over me. So if your kid makes noise, if they climb the stairs, I really don't mind. I'll just keep going because that's what I have to do day in, day out. So anyway, Emily was my midwife when I had my last baby, which was such a treat for me. Fortunately, she wasn't in the delivery room because then we couldn't be friends anymore. But <laughs> she was with me pretty soon after Hudson arrived. She turned up at our doorstep with sweets for the kids, chocolate for me, her beautiful, big, warm, lovely smile telling me how great I looked when we all know that isn't true. But she is a wonderful midwife and a wonderful person and a wonderful mum. And we love Rich too, but you weren't there for me in quite the same way. Um, <laughs> anyway, I hope you'll forgive me for using a kid's version of the Bible, but I feel like it just paints such an awesome picture. The one thing I realize is also in the book of John, I didn't say that on the slide, but it's also in John, it's in all four stories that we read about Jesus' life, this amazing story where there's not enough, there isn't possibly enough, and then with Jesus, there's more than enough, and that is what it is like following Jesus. So we, we kind of get to this story, and it's kind of partway through Jesus' ministry. He only actually is doing super exciting stuff for about three years. And, uh, and so we're kind of partway through his, his journey in. And um, he's been, like, teaching everybody. He's been talking about what God is like, what his kingdom is like. He's been telling stories about how God loves us and runs towards us. He's also been hanging out with some people that nobody else was interested in. He gets into trouble because he hangs out with people that nobody else would. They're like the lowest of the low. And nowadays, I, I won't try and find an equivalent, but you wouldn't want to be their friend. But that's who Jesus loves to be with. He also has done some crazy stuff, like someone that cannot move and is lying on a mat. Jesus just speaks to them, and they jump up. And they walk and they praise him for what he's done. He's helped people who can't see, see. He's set people free. He's reached out and touched people with skin diseases that no one would touch for the fear of getting it. And he touches them and he heals them. Jesus was doing wild and wonderful things. And that's where this story is. He's, he's kind of on this mountainside. He's had a whole day of doing, doing these impossible things, but that he can do. He makes them possible, and he's tired, and the crowd are tired. And we don't even know what he's been doing that day. We don't know what miracles have been happening, what impossible things have been happening. But that's what's happened that day. And he sits down on the mountainside with his kind of friendship group, and the crowds are still coming. They're still following him. They want more from him. And... Um, and, and Jesus says to his friends, hey, hey, these guys are tired and they're hungry. We need to feed them. Because Jesus really cares about our whole life, you know. He cares when we're hungry and he cares when we're tired. So he wants to do something. And his friends are like, Jesus, what the heck? There's 5,000 people. But the secret that we now know is they only would count the men in those days. So there were 5,000 men but there may well have been up to about 20,000 people. 
I was going to try and show you a picture. I'm not very good at like quantities. And I was like, oh, maybe like the number of people watching Elton John is about 20,000 people at Glastonbury. And I Googled it and it's like 120,000. I was like, okay, that's not a good picture. But just like, you know, look at the crowd at Glastonbury and then take like three, four fifths off and then maybe it's like that. I don't know. Anyway, so it's a big crowd. It's a big crowd. They're following Jesus. And, um, and the disciples are looking around, they're like, how are we going to feed all these people? Jesus, just send them home. We don't have enough. Like, what are you asking us to do? And um, they, they look at what they don't have, don't they? They're like, we haven't got enough money. Like, even if there were, was a shop somewhere nearby, the shop wouldn't have enough to feed this number of people. But we don't have enough money, and we don't have any food. We're not in the right place. All they see is what they don't have. And yet... They've been hanging around with Jesus, who can do anything. So I kind of think sometimes in this story, would the little boy have even had to give up his lunch if the disciples had stopped looking and thinking, I haven't got anything, and remembered who they were hanging out with? It's the guy that makes impossible things possible. Who knows? But we, we do get to meet the little boy, which is exciting, isn't it? I love a good story about a child in the Bible. They always kind of win. They always come off well. And... Um, and, and John asked me to speak today, and he kind of, we were thinking about how do we as a church family invest in our young people and children? What does it look like for us as a family? This is not about like biological family. This is about us as the people of God investing in those that are coming up behind us. And obviously, we want to do that for Olive. We've all committed today to pray for her, love her, encourage her. We've welcomed her into our family here at ENC. Um, but we want that to be broader than just Olive. We want all of the kids and all of the young people in this community and beyond to feel invested in and, um, and to feel part of us. And so I've got a few ideas for you um, from this story. And, um, <clears throat> sorry, so I wondered, so Jesus says to his friends, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a sore throat and it's not a good timing, but anyway, forgive me. So anyway, Jesus says to his friends, like, go and find some food, we need to feed these people. And they're probably like, oh man. So they get up and they maybe go to the, f- the front row and they're like, hey, have you, have you got a sandwich? And then they're like, no, or yes. They're like, could we split it 20,000 ways? No, probably not. But maybe the kind of Chinese whisper effect starts and they start hearing, oh, Jesus is looking for food and it, it makes it way, its way through the crowd. And, uh, and, the, and the disciples are looking. And I was thinking, I wonder if people were like hangry in the crowd. You know that thing, like when people get really cross when they get hungry? I, um, I worked for a lady once and I noticed she had loads of snacks in her handbag. And I was like, oh, that's so nice that your kids always have snacks. She's like, these are not for my children. This is my husband. He gets so angry when he's hungry. I wonder if there were any people like that in the crowd. They were so frustrated because they wanted to eat. Anyway, so this, maybe this Chinese whisper is moving around these 20,000 people. And maybe in that moment, this little boy gets out his little packed lunch. I don't know what lunch boxes look like then, but in my head, I kind of imagine him unzipping his little Paw Patrol lunchbox. And there's like five little loaves and two fish. And, he, and he's like, yes, I'm hungry. He's probably been following Jesus around all day as well. He's hungry and he's ready for his lunch. And then he, then he hears this noise. Jesus needs some food. Jesus wants to feed people. Has anybody got anything? And I wonder what he thought, because he must have looked across this sea of people and looked at his tiny little lunch, and something in him goes, I'll offer it. I'll offer my tiny little lunch to Jesus. What could it have been that gave him the boldness to believe that he could actually do something for 20,000 people with a tiny lunch? 
what was it? And this is where you have to be okay with my slight imagination of what might have been happening in this boy's head, but I think it's going to teach us a few things about investing in the next generation. And I wonder if this little boy was in a family where they talked about the stories of God. I wonder if his parents told him about the history of the Jewish people. I wonder if they told him about the shepherd boys that God used, the slave girls that God would use, the dreamers, the women, the broken, the normal, everyday people that God called to do some awesome things. I wonder if he knew those stories. I wonder if he knew the story of where God's people got enslaved in Egypt. They got stuck there and they cried out to God, God help us, set us free. And God did. He led them through the Red Sea. He parted it that people could literally walk on dry land through the sea to the other side. And then they ended up in the desert. And for a few different reasons, they got stuck there for a really long time. And every single day, they had to trust God to feed them. Because the food that came each day wouldn't last for the next day. So every day, they learned that God provides for them. Do you think this little boy may have known that story? Or maybe he knew about this guy called Elisha, who does some crazy stuff too. But one of the stories that Elisha does is that God tells him to feed a hundred hungry men with 20 small loaves. And he does it, and there's stuff left over. I wonder if this little boy knows those stories of God. And so when he looked at his lunch, he didn't see that he didn't have enough. What he saw was that the God that he'd heard about could use a tiny little lunch. And Rich and Emily, I want to encourage you, use those stories with Olive. Tell her the stories that you know to be true of God. And Olive, we've got a present for you today because we love you. And it's a little Bible for you, Olive, because we want you to know that you are part of this story. The story hasn't finished yet that you take your place in that story. And we've actually got another one. Because this whole story is about there being more than enough, I've got another one. So if anybody doesn't have this awesome children's Bible and wants it, it's yours. I know no one's going to want it right now, so I'm just going to put it right here. And you can sneak up and take it whenever you want it. It's yours. So do we, as a community of people that know and love Jesus, do we share those stories? Do you tell people what you have seen God do, the the things in the Bible that he's moved in you? Do you tell the children and the young people? I don't know. Do we invest the knowledge of what God is like in the people around us? Because I wonder if that's what the little boy had. He had a community of people telling him, this is what God is like. Or perhaps it's that, but it's also something else. Perhaps this little boy had a current knowledge of what Jesus was doing. Because it says the crowd had followed him all day, and we presume the boy is in this crowd, don't we? And so he had been watching Jesus do impossible things and making it possible. It says that they were tired and hungry, and all day Jesus had been healing the sick. So maybe he had seen God at work, and he knew what he was like. Or maybe he hadn't, but he had been around a dinner table when his parents and their friends were chatting about this crazy guy that's rocked up in town called Jesus, doing amazing and wonderful things. And maybe those people around the table would share their own story of what God has done in their life, how God set them free, how God has healed them. I wonder what the boy had heard from his community. 
So the boy, when the whispers came of Jesus needs some food, has anybody got anything? Did that boy look at his lunch with different eyes? Eyes knowing of what God had done, but he'd also begun to hear about what God is doing now. He knew that his lunch would somehow look different to Jesus because everything looks different to Jesus. And he could offer his little offering and Jesus might do something important. So I challenge you guys, what stories are you telling to people? What stories of what God is doing right now do you share around your table on your drive to work, on the phone, with your niece, your nephew, your godchildren, your grandchild, your child, whoever it might be? What stories are you telling? I've got a couple of fun stories for you. You guys know I love a good story. <clears throat> Bob and I lived in Bristol before we moved here, and one of the kind of big, heavyweight people in there is this guy called George Muller. Has anybody heard of George Muller? Yeah. So George Muller um, did many things, and he's around in the kind of Victorian times, and he feels moved to, um, to create orphanages, to take care of, of Victorian children who are in dire need and in poverty. And, um, and he, I think they think he cared for about 10,000 children altogether. So it's a big number. Not quite as many as 20,000, but still a big number. And, uh, and uh, he basically never asked another human for money. But he didn't have any. So he felt this call to set up orphanages and to take care of kids who didn't have anything. But he also didn't have enough to do that. So what he decided to do is he'd never ask anybody else for money, but he would pray that God would give them what they needed. And here's a cool story for you, okay? One morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Muller said, children, you know we must be on time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, <coughs> sorry, dear father, we thank you for what you're gonna do, what you're gonna give us to eat. I was gonna let the suspense hang whilst I have a drink. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and I brought it. Mr. Muller thanked the baker and no sooner had he left than there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. Good story, hey? That wasn't 2,000 years ago. That was only a couple of hundred years ago. What about this one? This is a great book. If anyone has small people in their lives, this series is great. Um, this is a woman called Helen Rosevere. She's around in the kind of 50s, 60s, 70s. She moved to Congo to be a doctor. And here is a story from her book. One night, Helen helped a woman give birth to a baby. The baby needs to stay warm, she told the nurses, or he might die. But there were no hot water bottles, so it was difficult to keep the baby warm. Helen was worried. The nurses were worried. The baby's big sister was worried too. When Helen asked some of the children she cared for to pray for the baby, a girl named Ruth closed her eyes. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, so please send it this afternoon. Send a doll too for the baby's big sister so she'll know that you love her. That afternoon, Helen received a big box from England. Helen had never received a parcel before. Inside, she found a hot water bottle and a doll. Good story, isn't it? So, there's a couple of stories, but you guys all have a story, don't you? You've all got stories that you could share. I'm going to tell you a story that I felt really unsure whether to tell you because you never want to talk about your parental wins, do you? Because then you just look a bit smug. 
But I was thinking, should I share it? Should I share it? And I felt like God said, well, actually, I did quite a lot on your heart through this story, so you can share it. So here you go. Forgive me if you think I'm being all like, whoa, look at me, good mum. I can tell you some failures as well if that helps. So um, anyway, <laughs> during COVID, I remember early on receiving the Tear Fund magazine, and all, uh, a few of the articles were all about the situation in Yemen. And, um, and I was really gripped by it. I couldn't, I just felt so sad. Like there was just everything possible was going wrong in Yemen, like economically, naturally, there was, you know, famine, drought, civil war. It was just awful, an awful, awful situation. And I just, you know, just began to sort of pray. And I had so much time in COVID that I was actually slightly better at praying at that point. And, um, and I remember sort of when we had dinner a few times saying to, to my kids, hey, let's, let's pray. Like, we're about to eat this food, but loads of people don't have any food. So let's just pray that people in Yemen would have what they need to eat. So then as a family, this kind of thing about Yemen just slightly grew in us. And, um, and then Phoebe, who was three turning four, said, mom, I, I want to do something. What can I do for Yemen? And obviously praying is awesome, but what else can I do? And I said, well, in the magazine, it says that um, 49 pounds would feed a family, like, say, for a week. So, so why don't we try and raise some money? Let's try and raise a little bit of money. Let's aim for, like, maybe 49 pounds, but maybe we could aim for 150 pounds, and we could help three families. And um, she was all on board, and we were like, what could we do? And, uh, and Phoebe loves to bake, so I was like, great, let's make brownies, and we'll post them out. And honestly, in the time of us deciding this, we read the story that we read today, and we read it, and I remember Phoebes and I both loved the moment where Jesus winks at the little boy, like the idea of him being like, I actually can't wink, so I can't do it, but, you know, that moment. And, um, and we were like, what could God do? And we both were chatting, like, maybe when the food gets to Yemen, maybe it will feed more than one family. Wouldn't that be so cool? So we were, like, really excited for what God might do with, with the little bit that Phoebe sends out to Yemen. Anyway, so we start. I'm thinking, Bob and I both got siblings. We've both got some friends that earn a bit of money. So hopefully we'll make about 150 quid. If not, we'll just chop it up. It'll be all right. Anyway, so we kind of put it on Instagram. And suddenly, like, quite a few sales start coming in. And then our friends start, like, sharing it on Instagram. And suddenly I'm like, I think we've hit 1,000 pounds. Oh, my goodness, we've hit 1,000 pounds. And then Bob and I are, like, knee-deep in brownies every night, trying to trim them to fit in the boxes, like, piling on the weight as we're eating all the extra bits of brownie. And then suddenly the like total keeps getting bigger and bigger and we hit 2,000 pounds and Bob's like, we've got to stop, we've got to stop. <laughs> but what happened in that moment is that this little four-year-old just making a bunch of brownies and colouring in some little flags of Yemen and posting them to people, she discovered that God wants to use her to make a difference. That's what she discovered. And what I discovered was why would I not think he would? Why would I ever think that God is not going to be more interesting and partnering with my little four-year-old than I would be? It was amazing. And now, whenever Phoebe sees an issue in the world, she says, Mom, what are we going to do about it? So I have made chutneys. I have helped her run. (laughs) But she's constantly thinking, like, I make a difference in the world when I partner with God. That's what he wants for me. And I tell you that story not because I'm winning, but because how cool is it that God wants to use our three and four-year-olds? Isn't that good news, Olive? He wants to use you, pal. I can't wait to see how he does it. I really can't. It's so good. And I wonder, what would it look like for the schools our kids are in and the clubs they're in around this city if they walked in feeling like they made a difference to where they are? 
What would they feel like if they felt that they had an influence to bring? That something of their relationship with Jesus could impact the places they were. So often, we fear the influences around the world on our kids, and I get it. But what if our prayers also encompass that they would influence, that they would change the places that they are? I was thinking about Olive, and I get to hang out with Olive like most Thursdays at Mum's group, and she just has this most amazing peace about her. It's just so lovely. She's so peaceful, and that is a gift from God. And I was thinking, even now, I wonder what God does with that gift of peace when someone holds her. I wonder what it does to their heart when they hold this peaceful girl that God is using and what might happen in the future with that gift of peace that he's given her. I'm excited to know, but I hope that she knows that God will use it. Because he loves to partner with us in whatever we're doing, and however small we are. So there are some stories for you. But I know that you guys have got them too. Maybe you've got stories of provision, of God's presence in rough and horrible times. Maybe it's the story of knowing that you are so deeply loved. And that everything you do comes out of that place of you don't have to strive, you don't have to be something else, you can just know that you're so loved. And how do you share the stories? Because those stories are going to give people the opportunity to look at their tiny lunchbox and their tiny little offering and possibly they'll go up to Jesus and they'll go, could, could we use this? Could you feed 20,000 people with this tiny little lunchbox? I don't know. In, in the story that Adam read, it says, it wasn't much, not nearly enough for 5,000, but it's all he had. And that's how I feel most of the time. I don't have a lot, pretty average, but God, this is all I got. Can we do something? Can we try? Can I partner with you? And I think Jesus celebrates that kind of faith that goes, you've got enough, Jesus. You are more than enough. And he talks about childlike faith. And I think childlike faith is that we just trust him to do it all, isn't it? When we get grown up and we're all independent and cool and we think we can do it ourselves, that's probably sometimes where it all goes a bit wrong. Because actually as a kid, you just look up and you're like, okay, let's try. Let's have a go. Let's make some brownies. Let's pray that God would send a doll as well as a hot water bottle to the Congo. Who knows what might happen? So... I want to tell one more story that I couldn't quite weave into the, uh, the Jesus Feeds the 5,000, but it, it weaves into how do we invest in the younger generations. And, it, and it's this one. It, I, I was dedicated to Olive when I was one uh, by my parents. It took me until I was 19 to actually choose to follow Jesus, but that's a long and boring story. Um, but anyway, apparently in my dedication, I almost got dropped out of the pulpit. So you're lucky that you got to hold on to her yourself because I don't know, John, if you've ever dropped anyone, but apparently I was almost dropped but rescued. But the, the point of the story is there's a moment in the dedication where they sort of open it up to the church family, like, you know, will you welcome her in or will you pray for her or whatever it is. And in that moment, I didn't know this, this, this lady called May committed that she would pray for me every day of my life. We, as a family, we don't really know her. You know, she's part of our church family, but we're not, like, deeply connected with her. But she prayed for me every single day of my life. It, it didn't, she didn't get anything from it. Like, I didn't know. It wasn't like I'd run up to her and help her out with whatever I could do. She, she got nothing from me, but she chose to pray for me because she wanted to invest in her church family and the younger generations. And I have no idea 
like what those prayers have done in my life. But the Bible says that our prayers are powerful and effective. So I truly believe that her praying for me every day will have impacted my life. And I didn't know it. And my mum, when, when, when this lady May was like older and widowed and, and couldn't do so much, my mum ended up just helping her out a bit. And she'd always say, oh, how's Tabby doing? Like, what's she up to? And, and then she said to my mum, you know, I've, I've prayed for her every day since you had her dedicated. My mum told me, I just couldn't believe it. This lady had prayed for me every day such a beautiful thing and I'll be honest she's actually died now so there's an opening for like my daily intercessor if anyone wants to reply I'd love it um, but anyway that's what our kids need from us our kids need you to pray for them we talk about how scary the world is all these things that are going on and you have the opportunity to intercede for our kids to stand in the gap and to say, Jesus, would you strengthen them? Would you bless them? Would you protect them? Would you partner with them? Would you help them to believe that anything is possible with you, Jesus? And we, as a community, can invest in young people and kids just by choosing to pray. Isn't that incredible? It's such a gift to us. It's such a gift. <clears throat> so I think there's loads for us to learn about our own faith and how we invest in young people from this story. But sometimes I think we disqualify ourselves, even possibly for praying for people, because we look at ourselves like the disciples did and go, we aren't enough. We don't have enough, we're not good enough, we're not clever enough, we don't, I don't know, whatever enoughs there are. Like we, we don't have it, we're not enough. And yet the joy of this story is it really isn't about you having enough. It's just about you being willing to say to Jesus, this is what I've got. And he's like, great, I'll do the rest. So for all of us here, if, if you're like hearing the stories and being like, wow, that's cool, but I can never do that. I'm not enough, you know, blah, blah, blah. That isn't the way around. It works when you're friends with Jesus. It's not about what you've got. It's about what he's done and what he's got, which just makes such a difference. There's one last book recommendation I'm going to give you. I, you know, I love a book recommendation. This is a, a missionary called Heidi Baker. She works in Mozambique. There's some awesome people here who've also worked in Mozambique. So talk to them about some of these stories. But um, the book is called Always Enough. And she, um, she's working in Mozambique with her team, with loads of people. And it's a nation that has endured so much. They've had civil war. They've had floods. It's in poverty. I mean, the list goes on, right? Uh, it's a really tough place to be. And to be honest, the story will break your heart. The things that the kids in Mozambique are living through are absolutely horrendous. And, and Heidi consistently says when she's writing it, there was nothing I had that could make any difference except Jesus. And what she basically said is the thing that she learned over and over again is that Jesus is enough. That was it. She didn't have anything else, but she had Jesus. And he consistently broke through in the most miraculous, incredible ways, multiplying food, multiplying funds, finding space for them to be, all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's at work right now in the world doing impossible things and making sure that there's enough. So what does it look like for us, for Jesus to be enough for us? And is there like space in our life? Are we willing to like lay ourselves down a little bit that we wouldn't have it all, but we would say to Jesus, can we bring something to you? Can we partner with you? I sometimes think we, we think of like kids in the Bible as like little saints, little angels, but I reckon this boy was probably very normal. I reckon he was hungry, and you know when kids get hungry, they are often on the edge of a meltdown, aren't they? They're like, you, you're watching it thinking, I need to get home for tea, I need to get home for tea, this is gonna, it's gonna blow, it's gonna blow. 
Um, and I wonder if that little boy was that hungry. Like all day following Jesus around, I would be hungry and tired and a bit cranky. And I love that he's opening his lunch and he's ready to finally have some food. But then he hears what Jesus is doing and he's so much more excited about that than he hears his own lunch. He doesn't really care about his sandwiches anymore. He wants to partner with Jesus and I want to be like that. I don't want to care about the things that I need or assume I've got to be like or that I want. I just want to see what it would be like to partner with Jesus and watch him feed 20,000 people with my tiny amount. I want to see our kids in this community raised to be more excited about what Jesus is doing than they care about what anybody else thinks of them. I want to see the kids and the young people in this family more interested in restoring this broken world than they are in building their own empires. I would like to see a generation of people who are more captivated by Jesus and who he is and what he's going to do that they are willing to offer up the little that they have in their hands, their little lunch, in order that everybody would be able to taste and see that God is good. Wouldn't that be good? I feel like you need to clap or something. Yeah, thanks, Owen. That's what we want. Come on. We want to see kids who are set free, don't we? We want to see them as God made them to be. And we have a role to play. We can pray and we can talk to them about what God is like and we can invite them to partner with God in what he's doing right now. At the end of the story that Adam read, it said, it's it's what God had been doing from the beginning, of course, taking the nothing, making it everything, taking the emptiness and filling it up, taking the darkness and making it light. And I think that sounds like what we need right now, doesn't it? When you watch the news, Wouldn't it be amazing to see some of that darkness being made light? Yeah, thank you. Um, And Jesus wants to partner with all of us and transform the world. And Olive and our kids and young people, he wants to do it through you. So as a church family, we commit to share with you the stories of God. We encourage you to partner with him and we will pray for you. We will stand in the gap and we will fight that you would follow Jesus in the fullness of all that he brings. Let's just pray and then I will go. What time is it? Okay, good. (laughs) Jesus, we love you so much. We love that you take the tiny little lunch of a little boy that nobody else may have noticed and you use it to feed a crowd of 20,000 people. And more than that, we imagine that you might have put in his heart for the rest of his life, that he can partner with God and see great things happen. And so, Father, we pray for Olive today, and we pray for all the kids and the young people, that they would move towards you, that the stories of God, the stories that we tell, would move them towards your heart. And Holy Spirit, we pray you'd fill them to be people that bring wholeness and light and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.